What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the College Underdogs Podcast. I'm your host, Trey Smith. Today, we're going to talk about this Oregon State, Washington State blocking $60 million worth of funding to the conference members. And look at both perspectives of that. I've got some questions. I'd love to get your feedback and answers in the comments. Um, Big portal news on the basketball side of things in following up from yesterday's episode with Memphis. And then if I have time, I, I keep thinking with the way the landscape is shifting and with the American Conference getting a new commissioner, should they look at partnering or dare I say merging with another G5? And how could that possibly impact media payouts and things of that nature. That's if we have time. And that's just a kind of a question I just want to throw out there, thought I want to throw out there. But uh, before I get into any of it, if you're watching on YouTube, like, subscribe, share it with a friend, comment at the end. If you're listening on one of the streaming platforms, please leave a five-star rating and a positive review. Um, We are on episode 84, I think, of this particular show. And um, yeah, man. We'll see what the future has in store, okay? I've had a lot of cool things happen since the beginning of June uh, as it pertains to access and relationships and networking and funding and advertising and, uh, you know, just whether it be sponsors or a private entity coming. Like, it's like everything sort of has just, worked itself out over the course of the last really year and a half, but particularly the last six months. And so now here I am in December. Um, This is the closeout month for a lot of those, a lot of those agreements and arrangements. And, um, you know, so as we head into 2024, if you're a fan of this podcast, okay. And you know, someone that uh, might be interested in advertising or, or, having a co-executive producer of the show, you know, feel free to send them my way. Uh, obviously would love to, to keep this thing rolling. Um, feel there's a lot of positive momentum, but at the same time, got to have the financing, uh, in order to create the time to do it. So anyways, sorry. Let's get to today's episode. So Oregon State, Washington State reportedly blocked $60 million worth of payments that were to be distributed to the remainder or to to the conference teams. It was like a certain percentage of the conference's revenue that typically gets distributed at mid-season, mid-year to all conference members. Well, Oregon State, Washington State blocked it. This was initially originally reported by Wilner, the Wilner Hotline, Um, and then some other outlets have picked it up the athletic, um, just some other, uh, have, have put their two cents in. And one of the quotes I want to talk about first, because I think it sheds some light on Oregon state, Washington state and the thought process here, right? Because most of what the knee jerk reactions have been to this are, well, Washington state and Oregon state are just trying to get as much as they can, you know, before this thing officially ends before these teams officially leave they're trying to make sure they got as much resources they have in the reserves before they're out on their own just two teams as a two-team conference look I'm not disagreeing with that I think that may very well be true but I also think that 
this is a move to gain leverage for what could end up becoming a long-term issue for the conference. Let me explain what I mean by that. So in Wilner's report, there was a statement that he quoted from, it was an Oregon State-Washington State joint statement. It says, no member acting in the Pac-12's best interest would allow departing schools to drain the conference's assets on their way out the door while they refuse to pay their fair share of the liabilities. If you remember, it was either last week or the week before when I talked about the House versus the NCAA and how much that court case could have ramifications on conferences moving forward. Without getting into the full details of it, essentially, depending on the ruling and the outcome of this case, it could put a burden of financial responsibility on conferences, is how I understand this. Not individual member institutions, but on conferences, excuse me, who then would transfer that to its member institutions to back pay NIL, um, all sorts of stuff. But it could be a significant amount of money that is, is due to athletes in back pay from conferences. And it sounds to me, based off that statement, is that the departing members from the pack, whether this has been put out there on front street or whether this is behind closed doors conversations, based off that statement I just read, it's evident that when they join their new conferences, they have no interest in absorbing any back pay liabilities that are then put on their former, their previous conference, even if it's, for a time frame that they were a member of that conference. In other words, if the back pay goes back to, I don't know, I'm just going to throw a number out there, 2012. So 2013, a 10-year window, all these teams that are departing, even though they were a part of the Pac-12 in that 10-year window, if they're in a new conference, it's my understanding they would not have any sort of obligation to making those payments or any, obliga- any any financial obligation to the outcome of that court case. And so for me, what I feel like with Oregon State, Washington State, yes, they're obviously trying to keep the re- reserves as full as possible, knowing they're entering into a world of being a two-team conference. There's not a media deal or any kind of, I haven't heard any kind of talk in, in, in regards to all of that. So I guess what I'm saying is, is, They put this block in place to me, possibly as a negotiating tactic, should they be trying to work out a settlement right now. From what I'm hearing and and, and seeing people put out there, it sounds like this is all going to come to a head pretty fast, possibly before the end of the year. And I just wonder if one of the assurances that Oregon State and Washington State are fighting for is that the departing members will contribute to any back pay obligations that are put on the conference 
as a result of this court case. And it only being in the window of time that they were members of that conference as far as, you know, I don't know how it's going to work, right? But as it goes to, I don't know if it's going to go to specific athletes, classes of athletes, but for whatever window of time these institutions were a part of the pack, they're going to want some assurances in writing that they know they're going to have some financial support there. Um, if they don't get that, then I think they they dig their heels in. And it's like, okay, well, we're going to need all these. And I, and I feel like that's something that would hold up in court. Like, hey, look, we need these resources, not just to sustain ourselves now as a two-team conference trying to figure out our future and possibly rebuilding this conference, but we're going to need these for retroactive payments that we may be on the cusp of facing as a result of a case that's currently pending with the uh, House versus the NCAA. So, something to think about. Let me know what your thoughts are on that. Is that something that could hold up? I mean, I actually think that (laughs) they've got a shot at winning. If this is a, a point of, I don't know, if this is a, uh, 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 one of the things that's brought up in court are the distributions of payments for the current existing school year or, or you know, athletic calendar year. However, that's set. Um, Oregon state, Washington state might be able to have all the, all control of this stuff. And uh, it's kind of like a ain't no fun when the rabbit's got the gun is what the 10 departing members are, are starting to face. Now, I keep coming back as well to what that attorney, I believe it's Washington's attorney representing the departing 10 said in that court case that Washington State and Oregon State ultimately won, but it's under appeal right now, was when he said that per California state law, I don't want to misquote it. I did a whole episode. I showed you the clip so you can go back and watch it if you want the direct quote in, in, in you know, legal jargon, jargon there. But basically is per California state law, we don't have to be, the current members don't have to be board, like directors of the, have, have board representation. They just have to be a member of the conference in order to vote on dissolution. And then he's like, well, I'm not saying we have discussed that or ever would. It was almost like he threw that out there as a power move, as like a last resort. And then Oregon State, Washington State still won. So I'm wondering, is that something that creeps back in? It just seems like a lot of these things that are coming to the surface right now are, are more power plays, leverage plays to try to come to the best terms on a settlement. Here's what my guess would be, is if there's been settlement conversations behind closed doors. There's been a sticking point where Oregon state and Washington state are wanting some assurances from the departing 10 that they're going to be, that they will fulfill financial obligations that could come to be financial liabilities that come, that could come out of this court case. And the departing 10 are saying no. And so now it's like, all right, well, we're going to block this distribution of payments. Pretty fascinating and wild story, honestly. Then my next question is this. How much does not receiving these funds, talking about the departing 10 now, how much does the departing 10 not receiving these funds, like this mid-year distribution, 
How much is that going to impact their ability to transition to their new conference? Because what a lot of these teams I know we're relying on were obviously the current revenue they were set to receive for the current year, but then also they were banking on getting their their units earned from March Madness, from CFP, whatever it is. There are certain institutions that were relying on those units as well to help with the transition. And right now, Oregon State, Washington State holds the keys for all of that. So now that they're holding the keys for current year distributions of payments, how much is that going to impact the departing 10's ability to transition to their respective conferences they're moving to? (laughs) I mean, very interesting. So do you think this is going to be resolved quickly? Do you think this is a negotiating tactic? I also think it's not unfair to say that they're also Oregon State, Washington State are trying to hold on to as much as possible before, you know, the the teams officially leave and not wanting to just be left empty-handed, which I believe is fair. I mean, they were put in a position they they didn't ask for. Um, God, just wild. And then I start to think about something I brought up a month and a half ago, which was, can the Pack 2 squeeze the departing 10 so tightly that the departing 10 begin to lobby their new conferences to extend an invitation to the remaining two. Doesn't seem likely at this point. Obviously, earlier in the football season, I felt like with the way it was trending, it was inevitable that that would happen. I was wrong on that. But is it still... Is it too late in the game, even if it's for the year after next, right? Like, is there a way that the Pac-2 can squeeze the departing 10 hard enough to get them to lobby their soon-to-be conferences? You know, you've got three different ones. you got the ACC, the Big 10, and the Big 12. Now, you've got the rumors floating around. I haven't commented on just yet on this show or really dove into, but... This whole deal with the ACC Big 12 and the ACC with the Florida State being left out and rumors of them looking for like looking to leave and get out of the, I don't know if they get out of the grant of rights still. I mean, if they left the conference, the ACC would still hold their television rights for home games. So I don't really know what that would look like unless there's a way out of that. But, you know, there's a lot floating around right now in regards to the ACC possibly on the cusp of collapse. Now, It feels a lot like the Pac-12 situation a year ago at this time. The biggest difference is there's a long-term media deal in place with an ironclad grant of rights in place, whereas the Pac was obviously playing on a, you know, entering their final year. So anyways, um, how does this pan out? Option A, Oregon State, Washington State get it all. They get it. All And the departing 10 have to figure out what to do from here. Or option two, they settle and come to an agreement that both sides, you know, feel good about for the most part. Or option three, 
The remaining two end up getting an invite from either the ACC, the Big Ten, or the Big 12. I feel like it's going to be one of those three options at this point in the game. Uh, moving on, this will be the last thing, looking at the time here. Uh, I just wanted to put out there, Memphis, according to Commercial Appeal, and someone actually commented on yesterday's video, it was where I first saw it, and then I went and Googled it and saw it myself, but uh, Naquan Tomlin will be a Memphis Tiger, and according to the Commercial Appeal report, um, he's eligible as soon as he enrolls in school. What I'm unclear on is what is the enrollment policy for Memphis? Does he have to wait till the semester or is there like a, you know, some have quad try, like you're able to enroll mid semester or whatever. Like, can he get in now and start playing before the break or does he have to enroll and won't officially start classes until the break is over? And then if he's enrolled to in school for classes after the break, which they may have already started, are you eligible for those games that happened during that time. Either way, he's going to fill an immediate need for Memphis. Memphis has been solid this year. They've been a really good team with a lot of firepower. Where they've been weak is on the boards, and Tomlin will be an immediate assistance to that. He, he will help solve an immediate need for this team. And, I mean, there's a lot to be excited about if you're a Memphis Tiger basketball fan. Uh, not just now, not just in conference play, but I think in March. I mean, I think this team is built to make a deep run. And, you know, if this is a two-bid league and it's FAU and Memphis, watching both of those teams so far this year, I think both of them got the, the ingredients to make a deep run. And it'd be great if they could both be on opposite sides of the bracket and, and we get some really good AAC representation. Even if it's only two teams, but those two teams have a strong showing, that would be awesome. Uh, 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 way to end the season in March. But that's it for me today. Thank you for watching another episode of the College Underdogs Podcast. Trey Smith signing off.